Hello, I'm Charlie Zazera and welcome to the Coach's Voice CV Spaces podcast. Each week on a Monday at 5.30, we're joined by two highly qualified coaches live on Twitter Spaces. That's where we dissect one of the most interesting tactical points from the weekend's action, as well as sharing coaching advice and insights with our audience. This week, we're joined by Liverpool FC women head coach Matthew Beard and coach educator Michael Lofman to talk about Harry Kane and Hume Min Sun's partnership and coaching link-up play and finishing. It's great to welcome back um, the former first team coach and analyst within City Football Group and the Egypt national team, Michael Lofman. How are you, Michael? Are you okay? Yeah, really good. Uh, thanks a lot for having me back on. Um, it was really enjoyable last time, so I've been looking forward to this one. Good stuff, good stuff. No, thanks for joining. Um, and this week, we're also excited to welcome to CV Spaces the Liverpool FC women head coach, Matthew Beard. How are you, Matthew? How's your season going? Pretty well? Yes, so far so good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Good stuff. You had a game yesterday, didn't you? How did it go? Yeah, we played um, Chuckman at home. We um, drew nil nil. It was uh, it was a good game, entertaining. Um, we played them the week before as well, so it's always tough playing teams back to back. But um, it was another important point at the back end of the season. So um, we focus on the next one now. Good stuff. We might uh, get into later, talk a bit more about um, your team, Liverpool women. OK, let's get stuck into today's conversation then. Um, Michael, I'll start with you. Um, you watched the Tottenham-West Ham game. What did you make of that Kane and Son performance yesterday? Yeah, very, very good game of football and yeah, lots of talking points. I think the, the Kane and Son combination, again, is coming up as uh, one of the major things to take away from the game. Uh, lots of positives, I think, not just with the goals, but some of the opportunities they created and that they didn't end up scoring were really, really strong in their game. Um, so, yeah, really strong performance that as you're coming to expect from them. Obviously, the consistency has been the thing for Tottenham. Uh, and on a bigger scale, just in terms of Tottenham playing West Ham, both teams playing a back three. Um, there were lots of interesting tactical insights from the game as a whole. So, uh, both the, a good game and then good performance from Kane and Son as well. Yeah, they looked they looked in good form yesterday. And Matthew, obviously, you you had a game yesterday, so you didn't get to see this one. But Kane created three of the goals. I'm I'm just fascinated by his new role, kind of dropping deep. But how easy is that for a player to change their game? Obviously, Kane's changed from a striker to a playmaker now. Is that easy for a player to do it, or does that take coaching? Uh, I, I think it's a bit of both. I think. Um... Ronaldo's had to adapt his game over the years as he's got older. Um, and I think it was really when um, we played, when England played Spain, where Kane was sort of a false nine um, and dropping in and, and similar probably to yesterday. As I said, unfortunately, I didn't get to see the game yesterday. Um, but but I, I think with Kane's intelligence, he's, um, you know, he, he can play obviously as an out and out striker or, or, or as a false nine. Um, and he's had a great education over the years. You know, obviously dropping down leagues when he was on loan at teams like Orient and Millwall and Norwich and Leicester. But um, it is adaptable. Obviously, you need to work on it. You need to work on the timing, the dropping in, etc. Um, but he's a technically gifted player and he's a good finisher as well. So um, it, it's, it's been interesting to see that transition over the last sort of three, four years. Was that England-Spain game, was that away when I think we won 3-1 and he was yeah. dropping deep and feeding Sterling and Rashford, yeah? Yeah, yeah. 
That's a good shout. Um, Michael, what did you make of Sun yesterday? Um, he looked on top form. What, what impresses you most about the player? Yeah, I think it's his versatility. I think he's such a versatile player and you can't really track him down to what he's going to do in that particular game. So he's very good at dropping into the pocket. You saw moments where him and Kane both dropped into the pocket yesterday. Um, he's also a good 1v1 in wide areas. So if he does decide to stick wide, and he can very, be very dangerous. And of course, he's got the runs in behind, which is where Kane has been finding him uh, with those passes, those chip passes or through passes in behind. So, so it's hard to pick him up if you're a defender. Do you, do you stay and worry about the runs in behind? Do you follow into pockets? Um, and then what, how do you do with him in wide areas? So I think his versatility is probably the, the most difficult thing and the, the biggest thing he has to his game. Michael, why do you think, obviously, Son and Kane now, uh, they're, they're racking up the numbers in terms of goal combinations in the Premier League. But why do you think their partnership is so effective? I think their their strongest attributes complement each other. So I think Kane being able to come into the pocket and then Son being able to run in behind is a really powerful start to that relationship. But also off the pitch, I think one of the first things we talk about in terms of building relationships um, is the off-the-pitch environment that's created by the coaches. I think if you look at a lot of the top combinations um, in recent years, maybe the last 10 to 15 years, you've got the Drogba Lampard, Henri Perez, uh, Aguero Silva. You've got these combinations where they've had a really strong coach um, to build the right environment behind the scenes. Um, and then on top of that, I think the tactical strategy. So I think finding Sun's position um, in this the back three system that Conte is playing, that position that he's got there where he can stay a little bit wider, um, but he can also come into the pocket and have the freedom to get closer to Kane. I think when he plays as a wide winger, and he has uh, under some coaches, it's been a little bit more difficult for him to get closer to Kane. So if you look at the images uh, from yesterday's game, they were very close together often, which meant their movements could really complement each other and find some, find some form. So I think it's a bit of the off-the-field elements, uh, but I think the tactical patterns and pictures which Conte seems to be bringing out um, are really benefiting and, and playing to their strengths. Yeah, it's a good point you make in terms of off-the-field having that good relationship, which is important. Um, my, Matthew, we talk about chemistry a lot. Um, is this something that comes naturally or when working with partnerships, whether it be strikers or, um, you, I don't know, your, your right back, your right midfield, those partnerships all across the pitch, is that something that's natural or is that something that you guys would work on in training? Uh, it's definitely a bit of both. Um, I think um, especially personal relationships on and off the pitch are really important in the sense of... Um, I guess, not only the football environment, but, you know, enjoying each other's company away from the football as well. But, um, I mean, I, I had it in my first season at Liverpool where I had Farrell Williams and Louise Fors, who, who struck a great relationship, you know, was on the same wavelength. And I think a lot of that is when you've, you know, Kane and Son have played together for seven years now. So, you, you, it's, you see the numbers now in comparison to what they were at the start, etc. And you, you think about, there's been a few managers since Pochettino left um, and, and they've still continued to, to, to do well together. Um, but it's, it's definitely worked on the training pitch. You know, I've seen many a game with Tottenham where they're just on the same wavelength all the time. They know where the ball's going, they know where the run's going and that's, that's worked on, on the training pitch for sure. Um, but also, as I said, they've been playing together seven years now. So I think that gives, um, you know, you, <clears throat> how many times you see that in modern football now where you have that type of relationship where... Um, that th them types of players are together for so long. It's interesting you're saying about the training pitch. Could, Matthew, could you give a bit more insight into on the training pitch, how that works? I mean, I'm interested to know, do you ever coach players in kind of pairs to work on that relationship? Or is it part of a kind of a, a bigger session? 
I think a lot of repetitive work is is essential to build relationships on, on the pitch. You know, we we the, the way that we work, we we revisit our fundamentals of our play um, sort of on a regular basis. Um, and what I mean by that is patterns of play. And you know, you may vary it from time to time on who you're playing and, and how the other team set up. Um, but then also players and taking ownership themselves, like with the individual development plans and doing what they need to do to make sure, you know, that whenever they cross that white line, they've covered everything they need to cover throughout the week. But I think a lot of functional practices, I remember listening to Ferdinand and Lampard, and Lampard used to say that he used to hate doing practices when he wasn't up against anyone. But then when he was at Chelsea, you know, he spoke about how we used them a lot. And I think... A lot of it is unopposed, then leading into opposed. There's numerous ways that, that, that you can do it. Depends on your contact time that you've got with the players. And obviously at that level, um, I'm, I'm sure that they're working on that day in, day out. Yeah, good example there with Lampard like that. Uh, and Michael, can you recommend any practices or, or coaching methods in terms for strikers and how, how, how coaches can improve their strike partnerships? Yeah, I think there's a there's there's uh, Matt mentioned there's a lot of different ways you can try and um, accomplish that. I mean, I I think one of the mistakes or not a mistake, but one of the evolution of uh, evolutions of coaching over the recent years has been that we've gone very like formation heavy and tactical heavy in terms of getting the whole team playing well together, as opposed to doing um, some more like more unit work. So I remember before initially when I first started coaching, it was all unit based, and then we kind of went more team based, and it was four three 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 four three and making that that work, but leading to more doing more individual unit work. So dividing your team into smaller groups and having your attackers go away or your fullbacks and attackers for crossing um, and your defenders going away as units can be really powerful um, to work on that. So, for example, in the Kane and Sun situation, um, taking away the number 10s, the strikers um, and the wingbacks to do work with just those and then maybe taking the other group away to do something different. So dividing the group can be really uh, a really powerful way. Uh, in terms of specific exercises, um, I, I'm a big fan of doing 1v1s, 2v2s and 3v3s in and around the box. Um, I think when you do tactical like phases of play, for example, as they'd call them on coaching courses, um, there's actually very little action within the box. It's a lot of build up to getting to the final third, getting to the final third, ball goes out of play. So you actually look at the number of touches with inside the penalty area or around the penalty area. In a half an hour session, it could be very limited. So trying to do 3v3s and 4v4s in and around the box to try and create realistic scenarios um, by giving enough repetition so they can actually really develop those relationships. Because so there's something you, you touched on there that we're hearing a lot. I don't know if it's coming to the game recently, Matt. I, I wanted to get your opinion on it as well. But is the kind of the formation, coaching the formation going not out of fashion, but it's more important about the principles of play of your team um, a lot of coaches I'm hearing nowadays are kind of saying it's, the formation is kind of just there as a guideline, but it's more about how the players apply themselves, what the principles are within the game. Is that something you, you agree with? You, you need to understand your players first and foremost. So you might have an idea. You might want to play a 4 3 3, but you might have the players to play it. So you need to adapt as a coach to. Um, the players that you're that you've got or that you're working with. Um, that's the first point. I think m m more importantly, it's um, in a team environment. It's about having that togetherness. I think, and like I say to my players, that yeah, we have a set way of playing. Yeah, we have patterns of play, but pitches change. Team teams do things differently because they're watching us and they'll try to counteract what we're doing. And 
you've got to adjust to the pitches and um, play what you see. And I, th- I think a lot of it is giving the players ownership once they cross that white line. You can give them a structure. Um, but it's, it's, up to, it's up to the players really to, once they cross that white line, to, to implement what they implement. And as I said, pitches change all the time. And, um, and it's up to the players to be able to adapt to that. Yeah, like that, giving the players the ownership. Um, OK, moving on. We wanted to talk about finishing as well. When we watched the Nottingham Forest versus Liverpool game in the FA Cup, it was quite not- noticeable yesterday that Forest had a really big chance through Zink and Agle. Um, he hit it wide and then Liverpool went up the other end and Diogo Jota scored to give them the win and it just showed that difference in class in terms of finishing. So I wanted to touch a bit about Jota and a bit about finishing. But um, Michael, what do you make of Liverpool's new full-strength attacking lineup, and what do you think, is in particular, Diego Jota's biggest strengths are? Yeah, I think that having that combination of being able to link up play um, and join him to create an overload, which Firmino also does really well. But also being clinical in the box, both in the air and on the feet, because I think a lot of teams now, especially the top teams, are getting into the final third and dominating games and dominating possession. But as you mentioned, it's really the finishing that's going to win the game. So you can get to the final third um, 40, 50 times in a game. But if you don't finish the chances and create the chances, it's very difficult. So I think one of the things I've noticed he just adds is just that overall prowess in the box to finish chances without having to have too many of them. Um, and as you mentioned, sometimes you play against the lower league sides um, or the smaller teams and it's, and they tend to have or need more chances to be able to finish. Um, so that that's a critical part of the game that you mentioned. Uh, Matt, what are the key skills that you work on with your strikers when it comes to finishing Michael Michael mentioned something there about Joss's heading. Um, is that something you work on with strikers? Is it, is it is it calmness in front of goal? Is it technique? Um, I think it's one allowing them to get finishes off first and foremost. Uh, I think also create replicate what happens in games. Um, also, you know, create practices where which are going to be real. You know, you're not going to have a striker where they're going to have two three touches. In an 18-yard box, you know, if you've had, if you're on a third touch and the chance is gone, generally, um, and 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 I, and I think we do a lot of team stuff. We allow the players to do their own bits. Um, they feel they need to work on, um, but yeah, it's it's difficult when you try and balance everything out over the course of the week, especially with sports science, etc. Um, but yeah, you 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 try to to replicate what you think is going to happen in the game to give them the best best opportunity. On, on, on the Saturday or Sunday when they're playing. And Michael, we're hearing, uh, well, you're seeing like set specific specialised coaches coming into the game now. Have you got experience working with strikers coach? Is that a thing? Is that a thing or is finishing part of a normal a normal session? Finishing ideally is part of your, your sessions most of the days of the week, ideally. Um, but I think, obviously, maybe not on a match day plus one or two because of uh, injury prevention, but... I think we did have a strikers coach at one of the clubs I worked with. We had the strikers coach for one season. Uh, and I think the biggest thing when you talk about specialised coaches is being able to link their work to the teamwork, the, the situations the team are going to find. I think one of the challenges with the strikers coach we had and just the environment was that a lot of the work strikers was doing, for example, was 1v1 finishing. Um, but a lot of our goal chances came from crosses and cutbacks. So actually the work that the strikers coach was doing didn't really align with the teamwork. And then the second part was that the strikers coach had to do unopposed work all the time where they were working with just maybe two or three strikers. Um, but of, of course, we know in a game situation, there's so many decisions that, that come into play based on the actions of the opponent. So 
having defenders and stuff becomes critical to transfer some of that work to the game. So I think the key is if you're going to have a strikers coach or any kind of specialist coach, just like you do with sports science and other departments, they've got to be merged together to create a holistic plan. Um, so I think that's maybe one of the areas where, yeah, before employing strikers coaches, you have to consider um, to make maybe make it more effective working with them. And, and Michael, while we're talking about Liverpool attackers, we can't really go without talking about Mohamed Salah. Obviously, you've got experience working with him with Egypt. Um, just tell us a bit about your experience working with him. What makes him such an unbelievable player? Yeah, I think from before, obviously, you could identify as a world-class player before I got to meet him and see how he works. And and then when you actually see how he operates and how he lives day to day from, oh, I can only talk from the Egyptian national team camp, um, but you just see 100% professional. The first one at breakfast, first one at lunch, first one on the training pitch, extra stretching, always going to the physios for extra work, stays for after training and has a perfectionist mentality. So in terms of things like penalties uh, in particular, like having an obsession about being perfect or getting as close to perfect um, with the execution and decision in relation to those elements. So it wasn't a surprise um, to see that he was like that, but I didn't. I guess I didn't expect it, um, having not worked with him before. But yeah, for sure, just the overall professionalism and dedication that, that you'd expect like a Ronaldo to have, a Messi to have, he also has that level of, uh, of yeah, dedication and professionalism. So from that element, for sure. And then ability and quality is undeniable, I think, at that level, um, especially when you're going to the Egyptian national team camp, he's a level above um, in terms of quality and makes kind of the difficult things look easy. So a finish from outside the area that you might think would be quite difficult, he just makes it look like a simple finish for him. So, so yeah, that's a bit of an overview in terms of the experience. But the thing that stood out the most was the, the level of professionalism um, from morning to night, um, all the way throughout the, the training camps. And Matt, one thing we always ask our coaches, obviously we've got loads of coaches listening in, um, so we like to share advice, but we always ask our coaches if you could recommend any specific drill or session that that you like to put on for your players. I, I, I'm a big believer in... Um, I, I speak a lot about fundamentals of our game, so what's our key principles, i.e. in possession, out possession, and just make sure you, you keep revisiting them over, over the course of like a four, six-week cycle when it comes down to how you want to play and, and what's expected. Um, there's loads of different sessions that I like doing. I don't know if the players like doing them, but it's uh, another story. But I, I'm a big believer in, in, in repeat work in the sense of you've you got to keep revisiting things because I've worked with numerous teams where you work on something and then two weeks later, you know, it might not be as what it was the week before. So you've got to keep revisiting things. Um, but my, my biggest advice is just, just to try and make the practices as, as real as you can in the sense of what they're going to be facing. Um, and, and also, pretend, you know, put the players under a little bit of stress in the practices as well. So they've got a, if they can deal with it in training, then they'll be able to deal with it when it comes to the match day. Good advice. Thanks for that. OK, we'll get some questions up. Matt, I just wanted to ask about your coaching background, really. Um, a bit about how you started and how you got to where you are today managing the uh, Liverpool women's team. Yeah, well, I, was a, I was a young player. I never sort of quite made it. Um, and um, I then sort of... Uh, my, well, my mate was um, the physio and fitness coach at Kingstonian FC for the reserve team. And that was my first taste of football because when you was an apprentice back in the old days, you used to do 
what they used to call the prelim badge, your little blue book. And uh, I, I took over to the end of that season and Kingstonian were in the conference or National League as it's called now then. And I enjoyed it. Um, and then I'd done my coaching badges and um, the coach educator was Keith Bonus and he was working at Cholton Athletic Women. Um, and I spent three years there with him and sort of it progressed from there. And that's how I got into the women's game. Um, I've coached at Boys Academy, worked at Millwalls Academy. Um, I've coached men's non-league football as well. Um, but I found myself at uh, Liverpool in 2013 and back again this, this summer, just gone. Michael, just wanted to know a bit more about the analytical side that you work that you do. Um, how much has analysis come into the game recently? And is there a particular area that you, you like specifically when it comes to really making an impact of a team? Yeah, so I think for me, the the big part of analysis that I'm into is kind of linking your methodology to data. So I'm more interested in after a game, looking at the data to say, how well did we perform? And using those metrics consistently um, to try and get to a point, uh, which I would like to think I got close to, but there's still a long way to go, of being able to uh, objectively look at your data and say, how well did we play and kind of rate that um, using a percentage. Um, so we got to a point where we could kind of identify how well we performed giving one number after each game. So then over a period of six games, for example, you can give yourself an average performance um, indicator. That's where I'm kind of more interested too, because I think that really helps support me as a coach. So when I'm coaching, we'd have, for example, a metric that represents build-up versus the press. How well did we do building up against pressure? That metric after the game can then tell me, do I need to work harder on this in training? Or did we get the strategy wrong for the opposition? Uh, so trying to just give those feedback metrics as a coach I'm a big believer if you're going to do analysis, it's got to impact the training pitch. Something has to impact what you do on the pitch or what you're doing with players individually in an analysis room, for example. But there's got to be some impact and benefit. Um, yeah, so for me, the big thing is can you use your methodology um, and add metrics to that to kind of measure how well you're doing in hitting your objectives? That's it for this week's episode. But if you are a coach yourself, you may be interested in our very own coach education platform, CV Academy. Aimed at coaches at all levels of the game, it helps them develop through premium coach-focused content delivered by a growing network of elite academy and grassroots coaches. You'll find loads of great content on there, including our latest attacking transition coaching course with Blackburn Rovers under 12s and 16s. We're currently running a 14-day trial where you can get access to all of our content on TV Academy completely for free, and all you need to do is find the link through our Twitter and Instagram bios. This offer lasts until the 24th of March. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back next week with more top-level coaches analysing the biggest talking points in the elite game and sharing our best coaching practices, advice and insights. If you want to join the next CV Spaces Live, then drop us a follow on Twitter at Coaches Voice. A big thank you to Matthew and to Michael and thanks to everyone who listened in.